The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Sometimes you just don't know what to do. So what do you do? Some of you think, uh, some of you probably will think that I'm crazy for being here today. Some of you might pat me on the back and say, yeah, you did the right thing. Sometimes you just don't know the right thing to do. So what do you do? My sweet mother passed on from this life late yesterday afternoon. She's wrestled for a long time with her health. And now the fight's over. Sometimes you just don't know what to do. So what do you do? Today, I'm just going to stick to the plan. I'm going to give you what's on the page. Um, So take out your Bible and let's talk about it. If you don't have one, they're in in the seat backs in front of you. Some of those black Bibles in the seat back are ESV and some of them are NASB. If you've got the NASB, you can turn to page 143 in the New Testament. If you have the ESV, you can turn to page 909. If you're using your Bible, you can go to 2 Corinthians. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 through 15. I still hear the pages turning, so I'll stall just a moment. And this is what, stand with me. Let's stand while I read it. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And in this matter, I'm giving advice because it's profitable for you, who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Now, also finish the task. So that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be completion, according to what you have. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had, who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. This is the word of the Lord. You can sit down. And if you need to take that Bible home with you, the one that you took out of the seat back, you can. We don't count them. So I ask three questions. We just read these five or six verses. Three questions. What does it say? What does it mean? And how do I respond? If you don't get anything else, you can take that home. Take those three questions. When you're studying the Bible, ask those three questions. What does it say? What does it mean? 
and how do I respond? Now, some of my message today, some of this message today is mechanical and kind of checking the box and completing the task. But some of it is heart-centered and requires a real change in heart. So watch out for both. And both are good. You know, you need to have both. Um, if you picked up the, 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 the flyer, the bulletin out front, you can flip it over. There's a little place where you can make some notes. Some of it is fill in the blanks. I know some of you like those fill in the blanks. Um, but you, so some of you aren't going to listen to me at all, and I'm okay with that. But if you take that sheet, it's all there. You can read it later. Um, if you don't want to use it, you don't have to. You can open your notebook and write down some things. So let's start with what does it say um, in this text? What does it say? What are the words? Who said them? Who wrote them? What's the context? So we're in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. So that, that area, Corinth, was a hub for worldwide commerce. So you know what that brings with it. It degraded culture, idolatrous religion, they were a mess. And we have two letters that Paul wrote to them. So in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul spends some time calling out the problems of the church in this idolatrous culture. In 2 Corinthians, he addresses how the church had been swayed against him. Like there, had, there were some false teachers who were swaying the believers in Corinth against Paul. So today we're going to be in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. So verse, uh, chapters 1 through 7, Paul spends some time explaining his ministry. And then in 10, chapters 10 through 13, Paul defends his apostolic authority and all of his credentials. Today we're in 8, kind of in the middle of those two sections of this letter. Chapters 8 and 9, this is some of the most straightforward commentary that we have in all of Scripture on giving and generosity. So we're not going to cover it all today, but the good news is that most of the life change that you need, you can get, and it'll happen at home when you're reading this and studying on your own. So take it home and study it. Take chapter 8 and chapter 9 home and study it. So chapter 8 starts with Paul recalling the generosity that he witnessed from the church in Macedonia. The church in Jerusalem was in poverty, and the Macedonians, even amidst their own struggles in poverty, it says they welled up in generosity. He says that along with their desire for the task, they needed to complete the task. He calls for equality in giving, and not always relief for you, but also not always hardship for you, but always helping one another where there's a need. So Paul is asking the Corinthians for their generosity and asking them to prepare for a visit from Titus. And in chapter 9, Paul reminds the Corinthians of the sowing and reaping proverb. They will reap what they sow. He also makes a call to give from the heart, not out of compulsion. He wants cheerful givers. 
So he finishes chapter 9 thanking God for his indescribable gift, and that is his, surprise, his surpassing grace in you. Okay, so that's what it says. What does it mean? Verses 10 through 15, we're not talking, this isn't talking about tithing, right? This is not a tithe talk. That's a different day. Um, so, and I'm not up here begging you for money. Okay. What we're addressing today is ethics in giving, ethics in generosity. So Paul says that there are two components, the desire and willingness. Component number one, desire or willingness. Component number two, completion of the task. Want to do it and do it. Um, who, who, somebody, somebody reading the NIV, do, do any of you, somebody raise your hand if you have the NIV. You got the NIV. So tell me what it says to do with the willingness and the completion. What are we to do with those two things? It's one word. It starts with M. Um, that's in 11. Match. That's right. Paul says, match up the willingness and desire with the completion of the task. Want to do it and do it. And so Paul is telling them that in Jerusalem, the church is in poverty. Join with us helping them. And then one day, they'll be able to turn around and help you. So it's fair. It's fair to everyone. And so Paul is calling for equality. And this gift is, accept, is acceptable according to what you have. It, verse 15, the last verse in this section that we're talking about today, is a direct nod to Exodus chapter 16, 18. So it says, as it is written, which means, take a look in the scriptures, it's there. He says, this, the person who had much did not have too much. The person who had little did not have too little. He's nodding back to manna in the wilderness. God provided for the Israelites when they gathered manna. And the, the people that gathered a lot, they used it. And the people that gathered a little, they used it. So let's take a, a little sidebar real quick. Idolatry is a central issue in much of the Old Testament, all over the Old Testament. Idolatry is a central issue in Corinth. We talked about that a minute ago. And guess what? Idolatry is a central issue in Conyers. So people get distracted. We let things that aren't critical keep us from walking in the truth of God's grace and his mercy. So what are your idols? Uh, they're easy to identify. They're coming to your head right now. What steals your attention? What steals your affection? I was talking to my family about this the other day, talking about the theft of our attention and affection. And man, it's a shame, right? What else is a shame is that we also freely give it up sometimes. Like we voluntarily give up 
the attention and affection that are due to God. With intent, we just give away our attention and affection. So that was a little sidebar. We'll come back to that uh, before we're done. So what does it say? What does it mean? Maybe the most important part is how do I respond? What do I do with this, right? So this message is for me. So I'm up here saying it, but I'm saying it to me. So having challenged the hearts of the Corinthians with the example of the Macedonians' sacrificial, spontaneous spiritual giving, Paul goes on to talk about the ethics in giving. So we're all well aware that corruption in the handling of money, that it, that it happens, and it's so easy to, to, to happen. First Timothy, Paul says, those who want to be rich fall into temptation. It's a trap. And many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So, while the gaining of money can be a curse to a Christian, so can giving money. It can be, it can be a trap. So, the principle underlying Paul's warning here is not only for the individual, but also for the body, also for organizations or even denominations. So the first thing that we're going to do is respond with integrity in giving. And in this matter, I'm giving advice because it's profitable for you who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it, now also finish the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there may be also a completion according to what you have. So Paul gives his advice to the church that had failed to keep their promise. They started a year ago to do this task of, of assistance, but they didn't complete it. And that's why he's saying to them, hey, you, you got to finish the task. So he's preaching, he's teaching that they had failed to keep their promise, and that hindered their stewardship. So we're going to respond with integrity and in giving. The first step to that is honesty and keeping our trust with God. It is best for you to be doing what you began now, complete the doing of it. So the Corinthian church was, they were one of the first churches to hear about the need in Jerusalem. And in fact, Paul used them as an example to the Macedonians who stepped up and responded even more so than, than the Corinthians. So contrary to the expectation, the Corinthians didn't complete the task. And the Macedonians excelled at it, given out of even their deep, their deep poverty. So the Corinthians had not kept their trust with God. They'd been storing up weekly for probably 12 months, and it's a serious thing when you make a vow and break it. Ecclesiastes says, says that exactly, that it's better not to vow than to vow and to break it, or not to fulfill it. So when we make a pledge, you know, God expects us to keep it, and that's a trust with him, and we've got to believe in God to fulfill it, even if it's difficult. Uh, 
So a lot of people are afraid to commit lest they should fail. And I don't know what is this. Is this fear? Is this lack of faith? Is it lack of discipline? Is it lack of planning? I mean, there are a lot of things right now that you pledge for and you don't have a problem committing and sticking to it. I think about, I think about the phone in my pocket. I think about Spotify and Netflix. I think about the, uh, like the power bill, the light bill. You know, there are things that we commit to all the time and we, we make these pledges. But sometimes with God, we're afraid to make that pledge. We don't credit him with the wisdom and understanding to make those allowances for sickness and circumstances beyond our control, sure. But, you know, we, we think of him as unbending. But this, when you think of God as that harsh one, you know, you kind of shows a kind of a low picture of him because he is loving and he wants us to trust him. He wants us to lean into him. So we need to ask the Holy Spirit to teach us how to do that. So the second part of um, responding with integrity is honesty and keeping our time with God. And in this matter, I'm giving advice because it is profitable for you who began last year. So it was a year ago, 12 months ago, Uh, The Corinthians had pledged their offering to Jerusalem. They made the pledge, uh, but they were quarreling. They were contending over matters that should have long been settled, and they let these matters steal their attention and steal their affection. They were distracted to a degree that they did not complete the task. So we, we pledge ourselves. We pledge our resources. We pledge our service to God only to break those promises because of our carnal fear. So sometimes we say things like, well, you know, when I get a better job, I'll have more money and I can give more. Or when I get my business right, then I'll, then I'll get it. You know, I'll be able to give then. Or, you know, when I die, I'll, I'll leave my stuff to somebody then. Or whenever, when I get this bill paid off, then I can, then I can give. So integrity, integrity really is keeping, it's a matter of keeping our time with God as well as our trust with God. So our life will always have new demands and opportunities. And it's a matter of values, discipline, but primarily love and devotion, attention and affection. Okay, so we said respond with integrity. Now let's say respond with ability, ability in giving. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. The sense in this text leads us to believe that God holds all men and women responsible for their measure of ability to give, not the amount in which they give. So the test of generosity or faithfulness and stewardship is not our wealth, but rather our willingness. So an intent of ability and giving, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. Many people, they, they merely, they give to maintain their reputation or they silence that voice in their conscience. They feel guilty, but what pleases God 
is spontaneous intention, a willing heart and mind. Hebrews 13 says, and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And it doesn't say how much it takes. If the clear intention to give is already in the heart, the amount is secondary. Paul says that giving is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. All right, so we're responding with integrity, we're responding with ability, and we're going to respond with equality. It is not there, it is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that they, there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much, and the person who had little did not have too little. So in prosperity, we are to relieve the needs of others. Your surplus is available for their need. So this principle of equality applies to people in need and to situations that require assistance. John says in 1 John, if anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? So Paul warns that equality and giving should not cause the believers in Jerusalem just to be eased while others are burdened. In other words, the Jerusalem believers were not to just enjoy ease and comfort while the Corinthians Christians suffered want. So there should be wisdom and a sense of balance in sharing the resources in the local church. So in prosperity, we're to relieve. In adversity, we're to receive the gifts of others so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that, the, in order that there may be equality. So there's some people who won't accept gifts. They don't want to, they don't want to receive a gift because they don't want to be obliged to the donor. And so Paul says, yeah, this, it shouldn't be this way. So we should receive all that God gives us through others with a holy sense of gratefulness and indebtedness. And the time may well come when we have to reciprocate that, sh that same kindness shown to us. There's a story about Dwight Moody, a well-known pastor, teacher in Chicago. Um, he was in New York, and he got some assistance from a friend of his, R.K. Remington. And as Moody was leaving New York and getting on the train, he expressed his gratefulness to Remington. And he says, you know, if you ever come to Chicago, call on me, and I'll return the kindness to you. And Remington replied, don't wait for me. Do it to the first man that comes along. So our fortunes in our life will change quickly. Today we might be in abundance. Tomorrow we may be in want. So the principle of equality teaches that the rich aren't supposed to expect to bear all the load. And the poor are not excused from proportionate responsibility. God levels all of his people to the point of equal rights in his presence. And in the same way, if we fail to receive an adversity, God will judge us for the pride that hinders us from recognizing his providing hand. 
So this is pretty clear teaching on the ethics and giving. To take this to heart is to please God and to live in blessing. To reject it is to break the heart of God and fall into temptation and a snare which can lead to destruction. So God expects us to respond with integrity, ability, and equality in our giving. And we, when we've fulfilled this, let us not that we've done God a favor. Let us not imagine that we've done God a favor, but rather done what is right. And in all things, God is no man's debtor. So let's go back to the sidebar of idolatry, which is related to all of this. Idolatry's answer is sincere, authentic love. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3, Paul says, I can give all my possessions to the poor. But if I don't have love, I gain nothing. My giving is meaningless. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is love. Love is the fulfillment of the Mount Sinai law. The commandments, the Ten Commandments. Love is the completion of that. It's the completion of the Deuteronomic, Deuteron- Deuteronomic law. And the written law was never intended to save you. God's plan all the while is restoration through love. Restoration through Jesus. He made the way for reconciliation and he's made a way home for us. Jesus was brutally murdered and he's the Lamb of God. His sacrifice fulfills the path to redemption. And his death paid the price for our sins, for the sins of the world. And he paid the price for my rebellion, my hate, my selfishness, my greed. On the third day following his death, his lifeless corpse resurrected and he walked in new life. His resurrection conquered death and now you and I have access to this same newness of life in the power of his resurrection. He ascended to heaven and he promised to return one day to rule and reign in a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus wants to walk with you in this new life. You should start today. If you're a Jesus follower, if you know him, if you're walking with him, then God beckons you for more than just 10% of your life. Don't fraction your heart. He longs for all of your attention. He's begging for all of your affection. Lay aside the idols. Lay aside the distractions 
and ask him what he desires of you. And you can search in his word. Seek the wisdom, the guidance in here. Search like you're hunting for treasure. And then respond to him. And if you're not, why not? Why aren't you? So if you need to talk to somebody about any of this today, find somebody. Somebody in this room can talk to you. And if you grab somebody and they say, no, I can't, then they can help you get to somebody that can talk to you. And if you don't know anybody here, then just grab somebody and they can get you to the right, to the right, to someone. So we're going to dismiss now. Um, some of you will go to your small groups. Some of you are going to try and sneak out the door. Don't do it. We have a number of opportunities for you to engage with a small group of people. And that's really where you're going to find your real connections in this place. And if you say, I don't know, there's not one here for me, find somebody and ask them. If you have a friend, go with the friend. If you don't have a friend, Ryan's right here. He can get you going. And somebody else can get you to Ryan. But we've got plenty of opportunity for you. And... When you are in your life and when you're struggling, it's those small groups of people. That, that's where you're going to find your connection. That's where you're going to find real life, real love, and uh-huh, that's right. So, okay, we're going to dismiss now. The Lord bless you, and the Lord keep you. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.